Yeah, of course they didn't find the coke culprit. <laughs> Is anyone surprised? Sam Urjofsky, News Talk 840, KXNT. Welcome to the What's Right Show Thursday, folks. We are plowing ahead through a, um, well, I would call it a robust news week. That might be the understatement of the century. Yeah, this CNN, by the way, got the exclusive on this. Because they have been running interference on this story from go. Secret Service concludes cocaine investigation, comma, no suspect identified. And by the way, we played here on this program a number of clips on CNN, which all seem to days ago, a week ago, week and a half ago, affirm the well, their suspicion that this would probably conclude with you know, no identifiable culprit. So I have a question for you. Do you, any of you, believe this? <laughs> because because I, I don't. I'm just going to put it this way. And it's really over a relatively trivial thing. I think this is the part that has to be said. In the grand scheme of all the ways the Biden administration is screwing over this country, a loose bag of the devil's dandruff is the least of my worries. All right? I don't care if it's Hunter, it's not Hunter, it's the top person, it's the janitor, I don't care. But now I care. And I care because if they are hiding the ball on something this stupid and trivial just imagine what they are doing with the stuff that really matters and isn't it funny that this news that uh, yeah we looked we looked everywhere and we had suspects you know we had oh we had grimace we had the hamburglar you know we were <laughs> looking into all the usual possibles but couldn't find anybody all right just a day after Christopher Ray is put in the hot seat by congressional Republicans over his management of the FBI. Now, the stories tie into each other simply because it is yet another example of law enforcement, federal law enforcement, colluding for the benefit of Democrats, colluding for the benefit of Joe Biden. So they... Um, that's that's the that's the thing. That's the issue. And it seems to be I mean this are undeterred. You would you would think they would at least come up with a with a fall guy. And what it tells me is that the, the team Biden and even really the Democratic Party as a whole right now is so convinced that they are going to get away with everything that they have no compunction, no resistance to the notion that they might need to slow their roll. Now, I'll, I'll tell you, as, as the epilogue to yesterday's testimony, and I've seen people describe Ray as handling the testimony well and uh, resisting the temptation to strike back at some hostile questioning by Jim Jordan and particularly Matt Gates of Florida. 
I, I, I get, I, I know this. You, you heard the soundbite. I watched the videos. I watched the entire thing. I looked at it as, you know, not in real time. I, I, I saw it later, but I'm telling you, uh, this guy was squirming and he's been caught with his hand in the cookie jar. And nobody believes him saying that, this is, for example, don't target conservatives. This is preposterous. You remember what happened? Do you remember this? What was, which office was it? Nashville? Was that the office? I, I got to look. There was, there was an FBI office that put together a comp Richmond. It was the Richmond field office. They put together, the FBI did, a comprehensive internal memorandum that exactly explained how the FBI intended to go after Catholics. Because, of course, Catholics are, in the minds of this government, radicals, insubordinate, politically undesirable uh, terrorists. Remember when Ray was in the hot seat not too long ago talking about or defending, having to defend the growing statistics on domestic terrorism. And one of the things I told you right there as it was going on is I said, listen, they're cooking the books on this stuff. They're taking, and, and there, there are many available examples out there, they're taking uh, garden variety crimes uh, and, and turning them into domestic terror cases. And they're doing this, by the way, in two parts. Uh, there's an important reason for it. One, from a funding perspective, and it goes to the heart of what DC is really all about is every agency is always fighting for bucks, okay? It is a money fight. When you lead an agency, you need to, well, you need to, to, to always be begging Congress for more money. You can't grow, you can't move up, you can't, you can't advance without that funding. And so how do you get funding? You get funding by, uh, by proving your necessity. And this is the perverse incentive that law enforcement has in general, to cook the books on, on crime because, you know, they, they need this. And particularly with overall terrorism rates, I don't know if you knew this, but terror rates in the country have been going down steadily. In fact, they're lowest they've been, I think, in 30 or 40 years. Something like that is a statistic. And so to that end, right, you've, you've, got, you, you've got, what do you, if you're running a major anti-terror unit, you've, you've got to, you got to get jump on it and find other terrorists out there or they're going to start cutting your funding. But the other part of it is that the FBI is inherently political. The people that run it are political. And so they view the good guys and the bad guys through a political lens. This is why the FBI shows up to protect people protesting for choice in front of abortion clinics and go out of their way to arrest and prosecute anyone who is there representing life. The government is not supposed to, via its agents, via its uh, law enforcement agencies, pick a side in these debates. And yet we know, they, we, we know the memo leaked. And the crazy thing is, that's my favorite part about yesterday, and I, I mentioned it yesterday on the show, but it's, it's the same thing with this. It's the same thing with the Secret Service. We couldn't find the bag of Coke, okay? The, the guy gets up there. Christopher Ray gets up there at the FBI and says, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I'll, get a, I'll get you a report. I'll, do, I'll find out. I don't know. Can't even answer, folks, 
a straightforward question of whether or not the FBI had CIs, confidential informants, had their people, to put it uh, in another way, inside the J6 protest. They couldn't, he couldn't answer. You're telling me two and a half years later after what I would say at least in, based on the public statements of the FBI and the DOJ, an event that for them is the most important, monumental action, insurrection, right, is what they call it, within the borders of the United States. I mean, this this was a, a, a... an attempted overthrow of the U.S. government. They keep talking about how big of a deal it is. So you're telling me that the director of the FBI doesn't know whether or not we had assets? That was a bold-faced lie under oath. It is just as big of a lie as they suspect, you know, the Trump aide who said, I didn't move any boxes. I don't remember moving any boxes, what he said. And they've got a video of him moving boxes. And so they charged him with lying to the FBI. To me, I mean, this is worse. It's under oath in front of Congress, in front of a branch of government whose purpose it is to provide oversight and hold accountable an agency that is out of control. The more you look into this, the more you peel back these layers, the worse it gets. It stinks to high heaven. And all of us who have some amount of reason are seeing it. All right, I'll play some, I'll play some examples of this when we return. Ah, folks, I, I know, you're, I know you're, you're bent out of shape about it, and I, I get it. I hear you. And all I can tell you is the Dems out there are screaming about the Republicans and these witch trials that they're holding and how dare they waste these time and malign the, the time and uh, the government malign the good people at the FBI. And the more they scream, the more they writhe, the more we know that we're getting close to the meat of the matter and that we are right on target of where we need to be. Sam Rajofsky, News Talk 840. KXNT, you're listening to The What's Right Show. I'll be back in a moment. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. Welcome back. Sam Orjofsky here, Nevada's favorite recovering Californian. Here on Newstalk 840 KXNT. Uh, well, listen, um, I, it was a predictable result. Yes, news today dropped by CNN, of course, uh, that the, the, what is it now, two-week-old, week-and-a-half-old investigation into the little baggie of cocaine discovered in the West Wing of the White House no suspects, and we are closing it. We can't figure it out. Guess what? Oddly enough, this little baggie of cocaine dropped itself in the one place in the White House that isn't covered by cameras. You know, I'm surprised Epstein didn't kill himself in the White House. I mean, this is just... just, I, I mean, I... I'm still, I'm still willing to write Epstein off as 
pure incompetence by overworked, well, lazy federal employees. But this really is beyond the pale. No one believes this. This is absurd. But it was what, a week ago? Robbie, this was a week ago. I mean, that CNN was already foreshadowing what the end of the story was going to be. Listen to this. Jeremy Diamond's reporting and your team's reporting is that it's going to end next week, but yet they don't have a lot of the information, right, from the DNA tests, et cetera. That's right, Poppy. And this is on track to end whether or not a suspect hmm. is identified. So as of yesterday afternoon, Secret Service was still looking through security footage and visitor logs, and they still had not received the results of the DNA test as well as the fingerprint analysis. So all of that is still underway. The timeline could still be fluid, but as of now, it is still very much on track to end early next week. And all that we have heard up to this point is that it just may be very difficult to identify who brought this in and then how it got in to begin so, with. So just to be clear, it might end without answers, right? That's right. Ah, uh, so at least they prepared everyone for it. God, isn't that funny how they just knew how it was all going to end over there at CNN? Funny enough. Now this at the same time as we, well, you know that we're basically manufacturing crimes uh, when it comes to, I don't know, we got, got comes to the uh, FBI, well, domestic terrorism. In August, Christopher Wray, who testified yesterday as well, testified earlier to Congress talking about how domestic terrorism, incidents of domestic terrorism is more than doubled, and that the threat comes from those who advocate for the superiority of the white race. Now, when you actually look at the statistics, and this is why you know that this is total bunk, for example, in murders, you look at murders. Last year, there were literally, and I'm not saying that every death is a tragedy, right? But there were only 21 homicides in the entire U.S. linked to so-called white supremacists. And that, that, by the way, they're using that definition very broadly. So you can think that they really put every possible killing associated with, 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 you know, white supremacy into that number. Now, let me give you a little bit of perspective here. If you compare that to the numbers last year in Chicago, you know, a city run by Democrats that's going to hell in a handbasket, an average, an average of 58 homicides a month so this, they are out there, they are chasing political boogeymen and ignoring the fact that we have a real crime problem in this country. And the FBI isn't doing anything about it. In fact, we're now hearing they're removing, <laughs> they're removing agents from uh, child pornography investigations. And there was one of the whistleblowers came forward and said this. They, I was taken off of a extensive child porn investigation and put on uh, dealing with domestic terrorism. And it's, we're all, all the rank and file agents are looking at each other. Like, we know this is garbage. We know we're being sent on a political goose chase. We know we're going, we know what this is all about. And yet, there it is. Management has them doing it because, again, this is what the Democrats want. And they want to do it for two reasons. They want funding. 
but they have a political axe to grind and they understand that this is their cudgel that they can use against Republicans. It's vile, it's foul, it's a misuse of, of power. And this is why Jim Jordan, he, he, and he, yesterday, Jim Jordan, who's the chair of the Judiciary Committee that was, uh, had, had Ray come in and testify, he, he exactly got to the issue of what happened in Virginia, in the Virginia field office where the memo was put out there targeting Catholics. And, you know, and, and he, he said, this, this was the exchange. Ray, um, Ray, he asked a question about the memo. Ray responds, and the following occurs. You're referring to the Richmond product, which was a single product by a single field office, which as soon as I found out about it, I was aghast and ordered it withdrawn and removed from FBI systems. You were aghast, and why won't you let us talk to the people who put it together? We are working on finishing an internal review into what happened We there. have to wait. The, we, the Congress, and the American people have to wait until you do an internal review. It's not a criminal investigation going on here. An internal review before we can talk to the people who wrote this? In playing the clip of uh, Ray here uh, getting questioned uh, by Jim Jordan, you get the idea, you understand what's at play here. They literally put a memo together targeting cons- uh, Catholics and, and got caught. And the legislative branch of government, the Congress, has an absolute right to ask about this. And they, they don't have to wait on Ray to conduct an internal review of any of this. That's not how it works. So this makes, all of this is just beyond absurd. Sam Marjofsky here, News Talk 840, KXNT. You're listening to The What's Right Show, brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit samandashlaw.com. Greetings, friends, patriots, Las Vegans, those of you beyond the valley listening uh, to the What's Right Show. Welcome. Uh, Sam Marjofsky here, your host, known as Nevada's favorite recovering Californian. That is me. I am, well, I'm just, well, I'm still, I'm still reeling from yesterday, which of course was Christopher Ray's appearance. Uh, on Capitol Hill, answering questions from uh, Republicans and Democrats on the House Judiciary Committee. Now, what this one of the things that Jim Jordan, who was the chairman of the committee, uh, was getting into was the use of informants to target conservatives. Because remember, one of the things Ray did was he denied, you know, wholesale that he there's any targeting of conservatives whatsoever in America. And let me tell you, we understand uh, viscerally and are confident in our view that that is absolutely untrue. So one thing right before the break here, and I know we had some technical difficulties, but I played the exchange between Ray and Jim Jordan talking about a memo that came out of the Richmond field office in Virginia that the FBI there drafted that was Uh, explicitly stated that Catholics were to be a target. Now, why are Catholics a target? Well, let's see. Uh, Catholics, first of all, are fighting back on the issue of life. They're pro-life. 
They're also fighting back on the issue of sexualizing, you know, content in schools. Parents, you know, sorry, you know, typically I think most Catholics uh, think there are two genders determined at birth, you know, and other type of reactionary sentiments. So these are people that are non grata to the current regime. And so the agents who are the FBI leadership there in that office, they, what, what have they been given? They've been given a mandate from headquarters. And what's the mandate? Get the numbers up for domestic terror. We need domestic terror. This is, this is the mission of the FBI. This is our funding depends on it. By the way, we also don't like conservatives, and everybody knows it. So they're following the directive, and they put together a memo. The memo basically says, you know, it's what we're going to do. These Catholics, we're going to— we're going to initiate investigations. And, you know, he gets confronted by that. Ray does, by Jim Jordan, Ray being the head of the FBI. And, and Ray goes, well, we're working on internal review. And I was, I, was, I was aghast. That was the word. He was aghast. Oh, I'm just delighted. Fabulous. I'm glad you're aghast. <laughs> I don't know about you. I just, boy, I just feel a lot better now knowing that the head of the FBI is aghast. That... FBI management will be putting together memorandums targeting Catholics. <laughs> oh my gosh, what is this? So Jordan goes, look, uh, let me, let's read from the product, right? Let's have a look at it. Here we go. Let's read from that product, page four of that product. By the way, the copy you gave us, when can we get a copy that didn't have all these redactions on it? So we can actually see what the American taxpayers <laughs> were paying for to see their rights, their First Amendment religious liberty rights attacked. Let me just read from page four. Provide new opportunities to mitigate extremist threat through outreach to traditional Catholic parishes and the development of sources with the placement and access to report on places of worship. That's pretty fancy language for they're trying to put informants in the parish, in the church. That's what this memorandum said, Director, from one of your field offices. And you won't let us talk to the people who did it. You know, I uh, have to be careful here on air not to drop any improper language. But I really, I really, really want to utter an expletive right now. Because... Do you know what this reminds me of? My paternal grandfather was a Protestant minister, uh, and he was a Protestant minister while uh, his country, my parents' birthplace, was under communist rule. You know, that was a government that put informants in churches. They're literally these Soviet communist occupiers of my parents' country where they grew up, where they were born and raised, did that. They're not even denying this. He's just saying he was aghast. F you for being just aghast. And I don't want to hear another word about an internal review that's taking place. Mm. Nobody gives a rat's rear end about your internal review. Shove it up where the sun don't shine. Director Ray, what a, what a piece of human garbage. I'm saying that now, second day in a row. But this guy deserves to be torn into. Catholics, right? This is, 
I mean, yeah, this is the group that, this is the uh, adherence of this religion, you know, uh, really done some damaging stuff in this country, right? <laughs> no, it's, be, it's strictly because, folks, they're, it's because of their politics. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to translate for you, by the way, what happened here. What translate, I'll tell you exactly. The translation is, oh, well, I'm aghast that we got caught. They are aghast, all of them that put this together for, for this memo getting out there and into the hands of the American public into the hands of Republicans. They are aghast that Republicans won the House of Representatives and are aghast that they are now having to be held accountable for this stuff. That's what's going on. Now, side note here, I just want to mention this because it's important. I know some of you are upset that I occasionally here on this program make fun of Chris Christie. Some of you have written me with great displeasure that I make fun of Chris Christie for being fat. Well, I, th- I do make fun of him for being fat, but I make fun of him mostly for being a fat head. Yesterday on Fox News, after seeing, witnessing this debacle, I mean, it's not like Chris Christie saw something different that we didn't see. Chris Christie, former federal prosecutor, former subordinate, in fact, of Christopher Wray. I believe they have a history together. I either worked with him or reported to him at the Justice Department under George W. Bush. Listen to this. Listen to what Chris Christie said as a, and this guy's running for president. He wants to be the Republican nominee. Holy hell. Today. I think was an animated and combative FBI director who's defending the men and women who work for him every day and do a great job and protect us from domestic terrorism, from international terrorism, and from these drug cartels and are helping state and local law enforcement every day with their things. So yeah, I I, I think Chris Ray has done a very good job. And I think, look, a lot of the stuff you see today, John, is theater um, and people trying to raise money for campaigns. Doesn't mean there aren't problems at the FBI, there are. But I believe Chris is a guy who can get them fixed and he's fixed a lot of them already. Chris, Chris, meaning Christopher Wray, director of the FBI, was also Chris Christie's attorney when he was implicated in the Bridgegate scandal. And it's Christie who recommended him to Trump. And this is the, I just want to slap Trump right upside the head, is listening to fathead Chris Christie for advice. Lord have mercy on our souls. Chris Christie should be running as a Democrat. I want him and Pence to switch party affiliations. I don't want them in this party. <laughs> Just, I, I mean, what a clown. So yes, I understand occasionally it so happens that somebody who is controversial, you have a personal relationship with, and so you, 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 you defend them. I get all that. But Chris Christie is not speaking as Chris about... Chris, this isn't Chris on Chris. This is presidential candidate running for my Republican vote, defending the FBI. And the most, the most inexcusable thing that fatso, fathead Chris Christie says here is this part. He says that this is political theater. 
He says that the Republicans there who are questioning and holding Chris Ray accountable, who want answers from the FBI, who want to understand why Catholics are being targeted, who want an FBI that doesn't use a political litmus test in determining who they target and who they don't, calling that political theater is got to be one of the most vile and gross things I have heard from a Republican in a long time. Christie is disqualified from this election after this interview on Fox. Everybody ought to be talking about this. He needs to shut his pie hole. Put an ice cream cone in it, Chris. I'm done hearing from you. Sam Rajovsky, News Talk 840, KXNT, back in a moment. New York Post now reporting that veteran federal prosecutors are crying foul over the White House cocaine probe, calling it a cover-up. Sam Rajovsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. This hour of the What's Right show brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law, 702-820-1234, because you deserve what's right. Um, yeah, well, it is. I mean, imagine one of the one of the people here that was speaking off the record, uh, but described as a senior law enforcement figure. Uh, suppose it was anthrax. Would they have the same answer? Right. I mean, and that is a that this is a again this is a uh, a very important point. See, it's. Again, the idea of a, it's being called a small baggie, whatever, a bag, a small bag of cocaine. I mean, it's not the end of the world. It's in the White House, though. That's the problem. And then the real problem is them lying to us over and over again and hiding this. And then... In a, what I think is, a, by the way, a classic gaslighting move is then when we ask questions and we say, well, we don't, we don't believe you, Secret Service. And we say to the director of the FBI, you're targeting conservatives. No, I'm not. <sighs> really? <laughs> Let's pull out a memo. Oh, I, I, I was aghast about that. Yeah, but I'm on it and I'll have my report ready for you in a year. And we, the victims in this, right, we don't think of ourselves as victims. We're patriots. We're fighting for the heart and soul of our country. But we are being targeted here as conservatives, many of us as religious people, okay? So we, you know, we, we fight back and we question it. And we're, we're being told that it's us that are crazy. And in fact, it's us that are, we're the ones that are, are actually doing harm to this country. And that's the part of it that just is absolutely uh, bananas. Kurt Bardella, MSNBC on Tuesday. Joy Reid uh, was interviewing a former House Oversight Committee spokesman. Uh, and, and this guy, Kurt, basically says, um, well, he, he, he goes, listen, this is, um, he thinks that Republicans look silly in these investigations. And... Uh, I, I mean, and here I, I've got to, I've got to say, I mean, I, it's it's crazy, it's crazy to think. 
So I'm, I'm, I don't know if they do. He said they'd rather go out there and actually just embarrass themselves and double down on failure. And that, I don't think, is what's going on at all. Axios senior commentator Mag, uh, Margaret Talev, GOP undermining faith in the FBI. And uh, she says this. God forbid there be an actual, like, domestic terror event or something where the credibility of the FBI is important for all Americans across partisan lines to have trust in, in the institution. I mean, that's the real risk here. Matt Gates, you played the clip uh, talking about how Ray has less credibility than Hoover. I mean, that, that's probably percentage-wise technically true, but also Republicans are actively campaigning to undermine yeah. the credibility of the FBI. Yeah, the, the Republicans are actively undermining the credibility. No, the FBI is undermining its own credibility. And they're just mad that people are asking questions. It's absurd. An MSNBC reporter yesterday, uh, Capitol Hill correspondent Ryan Nobles, um, trying to explain this away uh, from another perspective. Republicans uh, view the FBI right now uh, as uh, an organization uh, that needs to be rooted out, that they believe that there is a, a deep state conspiracy that kind of originates within the FBI. And we've seen the FBI director uh, going to great lengths to try and correct that record. But it's not really enough for these House Republicans who have uh, apparently a different agenda. So we'll have to see how the rest of this plays out. Uh, there is a degree of cover that House Republicans are trying to provide uh, the former President Donald Trump, many of whom uh, they are still very much supportive of. Uh, and part of their effort here is somewhat of a PR campaign to try and tarnish the image of the FBI as these investigations into the former president continue. Well, this is, oh, I see. So this is an effort to undermine the FBI in the lead up to the Trump trial. It's all about Trump. Mind you, Trump never trying to think now as I recall the testimony that Trump didn't come up necessarily. Believe it or not, this issue is far worse and of greater consequence than even what has happened to Trump, though I think, of course, and echoing what is now being said throughout the more reasonable members of the commentating class, that this case against Trump needs to be put on pause. Trump is ascending in the polls. Trump is clearly a uh, formidable leading candidate on the Republican side of the ticket. And this, this idea of putting him on trial right in the middle of the election is, is bananas. And the same people, by the way, Christopher Ray and James, Jim Comey and all these guys, they're all, they're all the people who advocated against any form of investigation or charges against Hillary, who played defense for Joe Biden in 2020, who hid the laptop from hell, right? Called it Russian disinformation, colluded with the uh, campaign staff, with people there, Antony Blinken and others, to rally together current and former law enforcement and, you know, some spooks too in there, CIA types, to all sign a letter that, that uh, called the... Uh, laptop disinformation, and then worked with Twitter and Google and Meta to erase any reference to information that not only was true, but also very relevant to the fitness of Joe Biden to be president. 
They went as far as to demand that the New York Post, one of the oldest newspapers here in the country, have their Twitter accounts, social media accounts taken offline. It's absolutely crazy to me that they would now, the media, of course, I understand what they're doing. They're playing defense, but that the media would uh, be very, well, just, just, well, you know, the Republicans are just here uh, trying to tarnish the image of the FBI. They're trying to, that's uh, a PR campaign. And it's, they, it's a deep, the Republicans all think that this is just a deep state conspiracy. This is just like, if you're in a relationship and they say this is a thing, you know, you're in a relationship and somebody keeps telling you, no, if I'm, I'm not cheating or I'm not doing something. And you're crazy. You're crazy for thinking that. Classic gaslighting. And they're all in on it. And the worst part of it is they now want to criminalize some of these um, well, not all of them, some of these criticisms that Republicans are levying against the FBI because it's putting agents in harm's way. We heard that from Ray. And yesterday on MSNBC, Andrea Mitchell reports, we had this same thing. Frank Figlusi talking about this. The GOP is a threat. What I'm seeing is actually far worse than mere political theater. I see a strategy here, a strategy to cause Americans to distrust the institutions that actually represent the values of democracy. So the message to the FBI and the, and the FBI rank and file from this really uh, attack dog strategy is you do your job and you'll face consequences. So there's something even greater going on here, even more nefarious than just political theater. Uh, Americans need to understand the FBI is really about protecting communities. Right? Last year alone, over 20,000 violent offenders and child predators arrested, over 100 violent gangs dismantled, hundreds of child uh, sex trafficking victims recovered. That's, that's who's under attack today, and it, it really, really defies logic. I think it's actually the GOP who's pushing the FBI to focus on everything on that list that this guy just mentioned and stay away from, from politics. I think that's, we're all on the same page. And again, uh, political theater, it, it, that's the same terminology used by Chris Christie. It's political theater. And I, I absolutely detest this. All right, how's the election going? Speaking of updates on that when we return, don't go anywhere. Sam Rajovsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. Greetings, friends. Welcome back to the What's Right Show. Sam Rajovsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT, the sage of Southern Nevada, the, well, Nevada's favorite recovering California, and that too, uh, here uh, Monday through Friday, 1 to 3 p.m. Uh, this hour brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law because you deserve what's right. Uh, some news about the campaigns, various campaigns, because remember, I keep saying this, the 2024 presidential race is wide open. There's, 
It's there for the taking on both sides. And while the one uh, candidate I think to watch very carefully, uh, because it's certainly showing, the campaign is showing some signs of life, is RFK Jr. Now, RFK Jr. is, is interesting. Uh, he's an interesting uh, candidate on the Democratic side in the sense that, in fact, I would say, in terms of political alignment, he is more like a Republican today than uh, a contemporary Democrat. He is an example, an embodiment of what the Democratic Party used to be. He is certainly not someone whose opinions have changed vastly over time. The Democratic Party used to be, once upon a time, a party that questioned authority, was a party that, uh, within its platform, had a deep sense of distrust for the government, for institutions, for people in power. It was a party that once upon a time embraced the concept of civil liberties and the importance of the Bill of Rights. And this, I think, is all uh, why you'll see a certain amount of coalescing behind RFK Jr. within the Democratic Party. Because those of you, by the way, out there who are and listen to this program who are lifelong Democrats and who certainly might have some uh, reservations about the state of the current Democratic Party, I I'll tell you, you, um, you're, you're listening to a lot of what RFK has to say. And so this, is, this, is, this is right. This is spot on. He's, he is more of what the party was once upon a time. Okay, I don't want to keep saying that phrase, but it really it almost seems that way. It's, it's been such a long process that has led to the Democrats being who they are now. Now, what do I, what do I think that this means? Well, I, I think, uh, listen, I, I think, folks, that this, that this candidacy has some legs to it. And I... I I can't keep helping. I have this thought that comes into my head. Of course, I run it by you know people, and everybody tells me that I'm crazy. But I, I don't know that the current Democratic Party establishment will treat RFK Jr. fairly. I believe, and I we know this, of course, from our uh, past experience as astute political observers, that the Democratic Party has a primary process that is fairly rigged. And by this, I mean, of course, this uh, process, the primary process uh, is very much a managed one by the folks in charge of the DNC. They're superdelegates. They're people who have more voting power than rank and file uh, registered voters. So to that end, the party has a say. They put a, a, a thumb, if not an entire foot on the scales. And I don't know that at the end of this process, I don't see RFK Jr. getting the nomination. The same way that in 2016, a man named Bernie Sanders didn't get the nomination, even though he was far more popular in Democratic Party circles than his chief opponent, Hillary Rodham Clinton. So what happens if and when 
RFK Jr. gets the heave-ho. What happens if there is a growing popular sentiment among RFK Jr. supporters, moderate Democrats, independents, the like, that feel that he got the shaft? I believe strongly that there is a possibility that under those conditions, RFK Jr. runs as an independent candidate of some sort. Now, he had been asked about this, and it was, uh, let's see, it was, he was asked about this. They, they interviewed him this last month, Elizabeth Vargas. News Nation town hall event, Elizabeth Vargas asked him if he would run as a third-party candidate, and the event didn't work out. Here's the exchange, and people are calling this a definitive no. But I'm not so sure. Will you pledge to support whoever the Dem Democratic nominee is, whoever it is, whether it's you, whether it's President Biden? Oh, I, of course I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. No, of course I'm not. I'm not I, so listen. If you don't get the nomination, you won't support President Biden? I don't know what I'll do. Let's see how the Dem Let's see what happens in this campaign. Let's see, you know, what if if people are living up to Democratic values and having debates and having discussions and, you know, talking to each other. But I'm not going to buy it. And if you feel that's not happening, would you then support a, a Republican uh, or gonna, run as I, an independent? Not, you know what? My plan is to win this election. And I don't have a plan B. I, I don't know what you're hearing. Vargas is flat out asking him, I, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm going to, I'm not going to, I'm not. And it's just asking him about support. I'll just be very clear. Also, that's a component of this. And they're conflating a little bit the two issues, right? The question of support, you're going to support whoever the Democratic nominee is. Or alternatively, or also would you be running? As a, as, a, as a third party candidate. And here, this is the part of it, right? I don't know what I'll do, RFK says. I don't know what I'll do. Let's see how the, let's see what happens in this campaign. Let's see and discuss and see what happens. Let's see you know, quote, what if, if people are living up to the Democrat, to, not the living up to democratic values and having debates. Now, let me let me tell you, I I that's a key thing because remember, part of this Biden's up there kind of pulling a Trump. Biden's up there saying, "I'm not going to I'm not going to debate RFK. I'm the, I'm an incumbent. I don't. I they just took my baggie of coke, and I don't know if I can have enough stamina to 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 you know to debate somebody who." is doing push-ups, RFK Jr., right, who is able to have an hour-long, you know, discussion and, and, and uh, you know, back and forth with uh, uh, Joe Rogan and, and other, uh, you know, interviewers in the media and public sphere. I mean, he's, he's an RFK, say what are you doing, well, he's obviously a with-it and intelligent guy, but the entire establishment is working overtime on discrediting him and calling him a, a, a goofball. And you even have some, you know, what is that? Just Hotez, Peter Hotez, the uh, Mr. Vaccine, Dr. Vaccine, you know, who's, who's, oh, I'm not going to debate RFK Jr. I'm not going to do that. Oh, I'm not going to, I'm a doctor. I mean, I'm, I'm real science. I'm not going to debate this politician. It's a circus. 
And that's because the establishment all agrees that they give any kind of credibility to RFK Jr. Now, all of a sudden, the cat's out of the bag, and they're going to have to pull old dusty bones out. Joe Biden will have to debate. And this is my point here, and I'll, I'll, I'll got to move here to a break in a second. But my, my point is, if, as and I suspect, I'll say when, the Democrat Party shows itself publicly— to actually be very deeply undemocratic, to give no official or even unofficial um, deference right, or, or, or respect to a serious and supported candidate like RFK Jr., I, I think that they disqualify themselves from having the respect that they would say that Democrats owe their party particularly those who are seeking its nomination. And so there could be circumstances here where a third-party run would happen. Um, I'll, I'll, give you a, I'll give you a couple of reasons why I, I think that, or, or conditions under which it absolutely would not happen, though. And I think those are, those are some conditions outside of uh, what happens internally within the Democratic Party. Sam Rajofsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to the What's Right Show, brought to you by Sam and Ash, Injury law, because you deserve what's right. Welcome back, friends. Sam Rajofsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. Speaking of RFK Jr., so I know people are talking about this today because it is an incredible piece of, uh, well, political journalism. It doesn't even begin to cover it. The New York Post, page six. Do you, do you know what page six is in the New York Post? Okay. Well, here on the What's Right Show, we like the New York Post. I think it's actually one of America's leading newspapers right now. They were the uh, people that, that, that bro uh, bravely broke the Hunter Biden laptop story. Uh, the New York Post is um, obviously based in, in New York. It's part of Murdoch's media empire, so it's got the News Corp uh, parent ownership, same as Fox News. But there's really some tremendous journalism that occurs at the New York Post. And they also have the section of the paper, and it's called Page Six. And it's always been on back when it was all paper, yes, once upon a time, Page Six. And that's where all the high society gossip stuff was. So I'm just explaining to you, Page Six in... You know, in the band back in the in the 80s, you know, Donald Trump would appear on page six all the time, you know, dating somebody or getting divorced or whatnot. All that kind of stuff was in there. So page six sent uh, it's a whole team of people to do it, sent a reporter, Mara Ziegler, to attend RFK Jr.'s a dinner that uh, for supporters that he had um, uh, in a restaurant called Tony's. Now, Tony's is on the Upper East Side of New York, and sort of the who's who of Manhattan liberal, old-school Democrat liberals showed up, including two Brits. Now, I'm going to—I'm going to spare you everything here, but this is absolutely hilarious. The story is that apparently uh, two of the guys there got into a very spirited debate— about global warming. 
the host of the party apparently at one point shouted when somebody mentioned something about climate change shouted that it was a hoax and the minute that he you know sat and he said that somebody else who was described as an older gentleman uh his name is anthony hayden guest octogenarian art critic here's where it gets fun, who appeared to have been sleeping happily for most of the dinner, was roused by the abrupt rumpus. Mr. Anthony Hayden Guest apparently likes the idea of climate change, or at least thinks it's real, and he woke up and denounced his longtime pal, the guy who said this, that it was a hoax, calling him a miserable blob. Now, the fight then escalated into the original person who had shouted that this was all hoax to let out what appeared to be some purposeful flatulence. And so this devolved into sort of a bizarre uh, uh, epic uh, moment, all right? Now, I... (laughs) Well... Why am I bringing this up? Uh, first off, it's funny to me because uh, I, I, I think this goes to show you who the supporters are of RFK Jr. It's not a monolithic group of people. And what is interesting is that the debate even among old Democrats, I know these guys were Brits, but they both lived in the U.S. for many, many years. So no doubt they're, I don't know actually if they're registered voters, but, but, but they're both supporters of RFK Jr. And they, they each have radically different views of a major issue in the Democratic Party, being, being the idea of whether this, all this climate stuff is real or not. Now, I, by, well, I'm just saying, I think that's the interesting part of the story. I mean, you don't read very often that, you know, DeSantis has a fundraiser. It's not like people start farting at each other, but that's not the point. It's not like people within a, a, a DeSantis fundraiser are, are so upset about their different positions on an issue that they begin yelling at each other. And this, I think, gives me some reason to think that RFK Jr. has some, that his candidacy has some legs to it. Right. That. okay. I'm telling you, the candidate that can bring in people, even who people they can bring in support from people who even on some very important issues strongly disagree with one another. I think that that's that's big. It also goes to show you that the environment really for many Democrats is not the biggest issue. They keep talking. I know they, they talk about it. They've got the climate czar out there. They've got John Kerry resurrected him, whole pompous windbag. They have him going around the world, flying in a private jet, emitting carbons hither and thither. Uh, but, but, you know, at the end of the day, well, I mean, do you think, you think this is the big issue right now? Climate change? I mean, you think this is what rank-and-file Democrats, or even the big supporters, the Democratic Party supporters think. So it's just a, I, I think it's, I think it's interesting. Now it's, the, the, the article's hilarious. Yeah. 
At one point, the writer goes, Deckert sensed the need for a new rhetorical tack and let rip a long, prolonged fart while yelling, as if to underscore his point, I'm farting. Now, the best part <laughs> came a number of times in the article. It said that RFK Jr. just sat there very calm and was looking at it like, like nothing was going on. And I've seen people comment about that. How could he not react to it? I mean, he's a Kennedy for Pete's sake. You don't think he's seen a raucous party? You don't think he has seen extremely bad behavior occurring among his many wealthy, well-heeled friends? <laughs> of course, he's, he has seen it all. He, for him, this was probably a tame party. Now, the way this ends is also pretty good because apparently both gentlemen, after getting contacted about it the next day, said, oh, yeah, we're not mad at each other. We're over it. And this, by the way, is how we all should govern ourselves when we talk about politics. I'm telling you, and I know I say this as a talk show host, but, but listen to me. You know, we can have a disagreement. We can have a discussion. We can, it can maybe get a little heated. We got to get over it the next day. And still be able to talk, and especially particularly among friends and family members. I mean, this is – and conservatives, I, I'm speaking to us right now. It's very important. Let them be the party that burns bridges, right? Let them be the people that shut out family members because they, we disagree, you know? Let them do that. We should never do that. Always take the, the upper path and remember, you know, it's – you know, relationships and family in particular are very important. And to the extent that it doesn't harm you or your kids or, you know, doesn't affect, I mean, I, I will, you know, there's people I disagree. You have to talk to your kids and explain to them, hey, you know, Uncle Ronnie's a little weird and he has some strange beliefs and I'll tell you why I think they are strange and why I think he's wrong. But Uncle Ronnie is still a good guy, and he's still your uncle. So, you know, let's just all be civil. And that is, I think, a very important strategy uh, in approaching life. Now, speaking of civility, I think Bob Iger, the head of Disney, the top cheese in the House of Mouse, he is expressing some regrets about how the whole thing with DeSantis in Florida has unfolded. And I think this is funny because, of course, I've been saying this all along. This was a totally uh, screwed uh, approach that Disney took to dealing with DeSantis, and it blew up in their face. So um, I'll tell you about that and some other things going on here. And there's one, 30 more minutes left. We got, we got time to cover it. Sam Marjofsky here, News Talk 840, KXNT. You're listening to the What's Right Show, brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit SamAndAshLaw.com. Nevada's favorite recovering Californian, it's me, Sam Marjofsky, here reporting for duty behind the What's Right Show microphone. Uh, it's hot as hell outside, isn't it? Now it's a little hot for me. 
Not going to lie. I'm have <laughs> hit my limit. Although I love, I was briefly, I had Fox News on uh, earlier today, maybe around, I don't know, around noon or so. And there was a, there was a, a live report uh, that a, a reporter, I don't know who it was, but it was basically coming from the uh, recording on the strip or, or with cameras on the strip and, and a live view of everything going on. And I'm like, well, that's down the street, you know. And they're interviewing people. And everybody's going, yeah, this is just the worst. And these are visitors, right? People that are here on vacation. And there's a couple of guys from, from England. They're like, oh, my gosh, the worst temperatures ever. And I'm thinking, well, I mean, I just took, I went for a walk outside my office. It's just like, uh, I'm dealing with this. Anyway, you get used to it is my point. You know, we just get through the summer. And I still, I'm telling you, even on these really hot days, better than when it's 38, 35 degrees outside in the morning. I just, that is for me, the absolute worst. So, uh, Bob Iger, he's uh, the returned CEO at Disney. The, yeah, the top or head cheese at the House of Mouse. And he's the guy who came back after uh, Bob Chappick was fired. Chappick was the ill-fated CEO who first, if you'll recall, you remember the uh, proposed legislation. Now it's, of course, signed law. But in Florida, DeSantis and the Republicans put in the so-called don't say gay bill. Now, the don't say gay bill really is uh, a parental rights bill, and it, and it makes it um, it makes it illegal to have teachers teach kindergarten through third graders about uh, sexual identity and the like. It's all very common sense, at least so it seems to me, and I think a majority of Americans. Now, what happened is that a lot of very left-leaning uh, staff and employees at Disney went ballistic because Chappick initially said, hey, we're not going to wade into this. I mean, we're, we're, not, we're, not a, we're an entertainment company. This is a political issue, and we're just not going to debate it. And everybody revolted within the company, and then Chappick listened and let the inmates get their way. I'm saying inmates because these people were insane, and they collectively pushed the CEO to making a, I think, a disastrous uh, move as, as, as the head of his company because he picked a fight with the governor. And you know the rest. You know DeSantis, of course, then uh, pulled the special district uh, protections from Disney, and they are now locked into protracted litigation. What's... Well, first off, I want to say Disney is framing the case, just so we understand, it's not about them necessarily losing the district and that there's a contractual violation, although that may be an element of the lawsuit. The main thing they're claiming is that their First Amendment rights were violated, which I just want to point out, I love it now, when we can get Democrats to come to the table and emphasize the importance of their First Amendment rights, and in, in fact, the importance of the First Amendment. Because he, he says, this is, you know, we as a company have a right to speak. We have a right to say what we're going to say. And, um, and, and that's, you know, that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's perfectly acceptable. Listen to what Iger says. He has decided to retaliate against the company for a position the company took on pending legislation in that state. 
And frankly, the company was within its right, even though I'm not sure it was handled very well, it was within its right to speak up on an issue, constitutionally protected right of free speech. And to retaliate against the company in a way that would be harmful to the business was not something that we could sit back and tolerate. And so we have filed a lawsuit to protect our First Amendment rights there. And other issues that you referenced, look, the last thing that I want for the company is for the company to be drawn, be drawn into any culture wars. The company drew itself into this conflict. And I, <laughs> I, I, he knows it because he's acknowledged it here publicly now. He's acknowledged, uh, even though I'm not sure it was handled very well. Yeah, no duh. But I think the better part of this entire story that nobody's talking about and just blew right over CNBC's you know, head when they were interviewing him is that isn't it interesting that a week and a half after a federal judge comes in and says, hey, the government literally cannot tell social media companies what posts to take down. And the ensuing aftermath, the cacophony of left-wing liberal loonies who all came out of high out of the woodwork to to and, and I've we've played the clips here, right? Who all came out of the woodwork to say the variations of the same thing, right? This is what this is this is this is acceptable and really this is not a first amendment issue and the government has a has an interest here in uh in 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 protecting the public. And I suppose those are all defenses you could make of Florida, you could make of Governor DeSantis too. So what do I think legally? I actually think that's their best argument. I don't know if any breach of contract claims exist necessarily without reviewing thousands of pages of, 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 uh, of contracts dealing with the special district there, that Lake Buena Vista area around Orlando that is the base of, of Disney World. But I can tell you, you know, if they're going to frame it this way and say, yeah, we, we as a company, we decided to speak and then they retaliated against us, they're going to have to connect it. And I think it's, I don't, I'm not saying it's a, it's a slam dunk argument. I'm just saying it has some, some legs to it. But the, the real story, uh, though, beyond it, of course, is, yeah, I mean, the, the left loves the First Amendment so long as it's them getting to say what they want. And the minute we want to say what we want, the minute that we want to exercise our right to free speech, well, I mean, so what First Amendment? I mean, First Amendment, we got to pack the court. We need other justices. We need to redo this whole system top to bottom. So David Faber, who's interviewing Iger, and by the way, this was up at the Allen & Co. annual conference in Sun Valley, Idaho. Happens every time this year. A bunch of billionaires and muckety-mucks get together and decide how they're going to divide the world up amongst themselves. A lot of globalists, a lot of uh, you know people like, I think Soros attends this conference, or at least has in years past. At any rate, Faber asks him, you know, what this climate like with, with DeSantis running for president, what, you know, is this a factor for Disney? And if it's a headwind, right, for the company as it moves forward and tries to achieve greater profitability. What about DeSantis, who's going to be on the hustings, so to speak, for the next year? And he's going, he's made this a part of his campaign, uh, attacking Disney, saying it's a woke corporation. 
We've put the company on a pedestal, but they've really embraced the idea of getting the sexualized content in the program line that I'm not willing to cross. I mean, that's what he said. I quoted DeSantis there. How do you respond to that? Now, his response, of course, is talking that this is retaliation and whatnot. He, he fights back. Iger says this is absolutely nonsense. It's preposterous that Disney sexualizes kids. But they've put sexuality and sex at the forefront of a lot of their programming. There's no doubt about that. And any of us who have kids and have seen what's on Disney Plus, I mean, we, we, we know, we know that, that, he's, that this denial is a flat one. So if he really doesn't want a culture war, don't have a culture war. Focus on making great programming. My girls yesterday in the car were driving along and they started singing from The Lion King. They began singing a, a song. I think it was like Hakuna Matata or whatever. And I looked at my kids. I go, I, I'm old enough. I'm glad you're old enough now to remember when Disney actually made good stuff. And that's a great point, right? Those movies, The Little Mermaid, number one, the first one, and, and Lion King, all these, are, these are treasures and, and, and monumental achievements. We want to go to the parks, we want to we watch the movies, and we want to celebrate the stuff without being hit over the head with their political views. It doesn't have to be exclusionary of people. It just, I, it's when, but it, it can't, there cannot be a pervasive agenda in everything that they do. And the only way, the only way, if Bob Iger wants to turn the company around, the only way to do it is to slowly get rid of these people in there that are, are these radical agitators. Employees need to serve at, at, the, at the mercy of the company. I mean, they, they've got to have the company's best interests at heart, not their political agenda, not their LGBTQIA plus two spirit agenda. They, they got to leave, just park it at home, come to work, make beautiful things, entertain, and, and then go home and be yourself, right? I mean, that's, that's and it's what we all have to do. When we work jobs, I've worked jobs. I don't, have to, I don't go in there and say I'm a conservative talk show. I've been in there. I, I, I have to be the best lawyer or the best professional, whatever capacity I am in, in order to get the job done and do right by my employer. And that is how it ought to be. Sam Rajovsky, News Talk 840, KXNT. Welcome back, friends. You're listening to the What's Right Show, your place for common sense conservatism here on News Talk 840 KXNT, Monday through Friday, 1 to 3 p.m. That's the time that we get to share together uh, weekdays. And, and look, I, I'm, well, I, I don't mean to tease Disney about the First Amendment thing, but it's, it's funny to me. To hear the head of Disney saying, yeah, we, you know, we feel our First Amendment rights were violated. No, these people are all liberals. They're all Democrats. They're all, you know, besotted uh, Biden supporters. They're all the, f- they, were, they were the first on the bandwagon to take those pesky conservatives who dare question COVID orthodoxy and have them removed from Twitter, have them taken down uh, from, from Meta, from Facebook or Instagram. 
have their accounts canceled, have them blocked permanently from these sites, deplatforming any dissent. Last Thursday, Berkeley law professor John Yu, who is uh, a constitutional scholar, uh, he uh, was on the Steve Malsberg show. And, you know, they get... He, he talks about, they, they ask, he gets asked basically, how, the, how bad is it, right? What we've seen in this injunction that was granted by the federal judge in Louisiana, how bad is this for both the government, but also for these, the companies that participated in the censorship? And he, he, he really nails this down and, and it's worthy of a listen. If it's true what he found, that the government was cooperating with these big tech, high tech companies to censor on social media, they're both in trouble. The social media companies are going to get sued now and they're not going to be able to claim, oh, we're just private businesses. We can censor whoever we like. Once they are tightly intertwined with the government, they're bound by the First Amendment. And then all these people who've been censored because of COVID or you know, the Russia hoax or whatever, are going to be able to sue these companies for a lot of money and they're going to be in a lot of trouble. The government's also going to be in trouble. So they're going to get investigated too. And I think this would be uh, you know, grounds for action to be taken against members in the executive branch who, who, who did this. You know, frankly, and I'm uh, the last part here, of course, that action taken against members of the executive branch, to the extent that this was ordered, by the president himself, I believe this disqualifies Joe Biden from being president. I think this would be grounds for impeachment. Now, some would disagree with me, but but at any rate, these lawsuits, by the way, that, that Professor Yu from the University of California, Berkeley School of Law, that Professor Yu is saying these lawsuits are, are already out there. And they exist, they're plaintiffs. In fact, some, some of these plaintiffs uh, are part of, that is what this judge ruled on. Because one of the things that they, they're asking for monetary damages in their suit. And they're also asking for injunctive relief. They want eventually for the court to grant permanent injunctive relief and bar permanently the government for, from interfering in their free speech rights vis-a-vis direct requests or even indirect requests to social media companies to remove quote-unquote harmful content, read content that is displeasing to the regime. So yesterday, when Daryl Issa, Republican from California, asked Christopher Ray about these requests, right, these requests that came from the FBI, these requests that came from the White House to take posts down. Again, Christopher Ray proved himself to be a colossal weasel. Here's this. So we don't uh, ask social media companies uh, to censor information or suppress information uh, when it comes to national security threats, certainly. Uh, so what we do do is alert them when some other intelligence agency gives us information about a foreign intelligence service being behind some account, we will call social media companies' attention to that. But at the end of the day, we're very clear that it's up to the social media companies to decide whether to do something about it The suggestion it or not, of the most powerful law enforcement operation is not 
a suggestion, it is in fact effectively an order. And, and Daryl Ice is 100% right, because what the congressman means is if you get a call, I'm going to say my business, for example, if my business, my law firm, Sam and Ash Injury Law, gets a call from the Las Vegas field office and they say, uh, Mr. Merjofsky, we strongly suggest that you do X. I know what, do you know what my next call is? My next call is to my lawyer. My next call is to a very serious, uh, I don't know, criminal and business lawyer who is familiar with government, a former U.S. attorney, calling him or her to help me navigate what to do next. I don't perceive it as a friendly suggestion. Ray is absurd. This guy is over the top. So in further questioning here, Christopher Ray admits um, perhaps that there is an investigation uh, going on into Biden. And this, is, um, this was on the subject, and I wanted to get to it still before the end of the hour because something that we missed. In all this back and forth, talking about social media, talking about uh, you know, pursuing conservatives, uh, you know, one-sided investigations, here um, – Here's Christopher Ray uh, getting asked by Tom Tiffany, uh, Republican from Wisconsin, um, about the payments from Burisma that Joe Biden allegedly got or received via his son. Uh, this is the exchange. Listen to this and tell me what you think. Did Joe Biden take pay, uh, payments from Burisma or any other foreign companies as vice president, president, or private citizen Biden? Uh, as you may know, there is an ongoing investigation being led by the U.S. attorney in Delaware, Mr. Weiss, appointed uh, by President Trump in the last administration that our Baltimore field office is working with. And I would refer you to, to him as to what, if anything, can be shared. So the president is under um, investigation. I'm not going to confirm or speak to who is or isn't under investigation for what. I'm simply going so to tell So he's not you, under investigation? I didn't say that either. Yeah, I'm going to tell you, I don't, th I don't think for a minute that this FBI is in any meaningful or serious way investigating Joe Biden. That there are conservative commentators out there saying that this is what it shows. I, I don't think so at all. I think Ray is being deliberately obfuscative in order to hide the fact that he is not under investigation. If Joe Biden were under investigation, the attorney general would be obligated to appoint independent counsel. He would be obligated to bring in somebody who is, doesn't share a direct conflict. There are some very specific rules about this. Because we do not have a special counsel appointed, there is no investigation. No real investigation. The only investigation that the FBI is doing is into sources and whistleblowers and people who have brought information about the Biden's wrongdoing. That's what's going to get you an investigation from the FBI. So let's recap today. You're basically screwed as an American if you criticize the Biden regime. You're screwed if you're a Catholic. You're screwed if you're, uh, I don't know, a, uh, a patriot somebody who questions COVID orthodoxy, you get no protections in 2023 
and this administration. But folks, I think it's all gonna turn around. I, this, this microscope that they're under is a good thing. Keep it up, Republicans. Sam Marjofsky, back tomorrow. I'll see you then.